0: At the you know, I have to tell you, sometimes I get really blown away by <clears throat> how the Holy Spirit works. So, um, as many of you know, when we do our sermon series, there's normally quite a lot of work. Well, there is a lot of work that goes into them. Yeah, just, you know, pull it off the shelf. Um, there is a lot of work that goes into them. And, um, and sometimes you just think, okay... What is, what is what are things going to look like when we get to the end of this sermon series? Six weeks' time. What is you know? Okay, what's going to happen? And. Um so when we looked at this sermon series for the summer and about life-giving water, we had this whole thing of it's the summer, everything needs to stand alone, all the sermons needed because there'll be people coming in and out of holiday. It's quite a nice theme for sort of the summer and light, um, kind of keeping things light and us being on tour in Towsy. And um, who knew... Who knew what kind of week we would have just had <laughs> in the press when week in politics and in our nation and in our world when we looked at Revelation 22, life-giving water, the river remade, chaos tamed. So, today uh, we're going to end this series um, or looking at life giving water. Um, and we are looking at, from, at this reading from Revelation, um, which is the book at the end of the Bible, um, which is apocalyptic. Um, it's full of upheaval, of suffering, of wrestling. But these last two chapters tell us of the renewal, the restoration, the healing of the earth in a coming time. But to help us understand this in a sort of more 3D, fuller way, we're going to go all the way back to the first book in the Bible, in Genesis. We're going to go to Genesis 1, Um And um, I'm going to ask you to sort of have your finger in the front and the back of your Bible because we're going to flick a little bit between them. If it's on your phone, just go flicking through your phone in whatever way you want to. Um, But we're going to be looking at some big picture stuff today, which I know... um, we're constantly told, aren't we, by our culture that actually we don't do big picture stuff anymore. It's all about the moment. But we're going to look at the overarch arch of history of our world. Now, <clears throat> we're going to be looking at these readings at the beginning of Genesis and at the end of um, Revelation. And I know um, there are some people who want to understand These uh, readings, like their newspaper reports, um, that they're literal, um, and others will want to interpret them more figuratively, that they're poetic um, and ancient legend. What I want to encourage you is that, whatever way you understand these readings, they tell us a deep and profound truth. So I just want to reassure you that I am not telling you how to understand these, but I want you to grasp the deep and profound truth that they hold. Richard or Barbie, I'm going to ask you To read. I'm aware that I'm leading and preaching today, so you might get sick of my voice. So I've asked Barbie and Richard to also dip in with the readings. Barbie, can you read Genesis 1, verse 1 to 3, please? In the beginning, God created
1: the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light.
0: I'm going to come to that one in a minute, Richard. Oh, keep the microphone. Yeah, wow, yeah. Let's do that. As we go through Genesis, and as I tell you, there's two creation stories at the beginning of Genesis. I have Genesis, I have to confess, the second one is my favourite, but we're going for the first one this time. Um, We have this picture in Genesis 1 of, uh, of of chaos to start with. We have an overall picture of God that he is a craftsman fashioning initially this stuff that is shapeless and barren. He gets this material and he shapes it like a craftsman into something that he stands back and says, that's good. Yeah, that is good. We're introduced at the beginning of Genesis where the earth is entirely covered with water. It's in complete darkness. There's no life on earth, but nor are there conditions that life can survive. And yet, in this um, beautiful story, the Spirit of God hovers over the water. There's a hint that something amazing is going to happen. In this barren world, something new is going to happen. Let there be light. God's speech brings light. Previously, there was only darkness, but now there is light and darkness. The story of order as we understand it day and night. Oh, suddenly we're introduced to that concept of time day, night day night the next step is to control is to diminish that overwhelming presence of water on the earth by removing it and holding as much back in what god names the sky Richard, can you read verses um, 4 to 10, please?
1: And God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. And evening passed and morning came, marking the first day. Then God said... Let there be a space between the waters to separate the waters of the heavens from the waters of the earth. And that is what happened. God made this space to separate the waters of the earth from the waters of the heavens. God called the space sky. And evening passed and morning came, marking the second day. Then God said, let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place so dry ground may appear and that is what happened and god called the dry ground land and the waters seas and god saw that it was good
0: god there is the if the barrier is established by god that makes life on earth possible On the first three days, we see God creating and transforming this dark and barren, watery expanse into a setting fit for life. And then on the following days, fills it with life. In these first two creation stories... So Genesis one and two, we see um, creation in how um, in its beauty, in its wholeness, in how it's meant to be. God creatively in, uh, creates an environment for life and separates and holds back the destructive. Forces. The word used about the harmony um, of of all um, is shalom, which often is peace. However, that just captures such a small part of what that word means. And actually, we have it encompasses the harmony of humanity with God. Humanity with each other and humanity with the earth. Wholeness. Integration. And um, we see sin come into the world when humanity acts in a way that breaks that shalom. Breaks that harmony between God, the earth, and each other. This story of God's ordering and creative life force would have been passed down um, orally from generation to generation to generation. So when did it get written down? Why did it get written down? Well, let's think about when most people um, kind of agree that it was probably written. We don't know who wrote it, but um, the people who wrote it down. This story of God's ordering of chaos was written down when the community of Israel were in chaos. When they were in exile. When all their normal markers of life, how they worship, how um, the symbol of God being with them had gone. And here that story that has been passed down through generation and generation gets written down to remind them that God is a God of life and thriving and beauty. God brings order out of these seemingly unrelated pieces And it's an encouragement to those whose life feels like those pieces. I don't know about you, but I have been glued to the news this week. Let's start with Hurricane Dorian. The pictures of that utter destruction of those islands in the Bahamas. The destruction wreaked by the water, by the wind. And the chaos. <laughs> And that is just evident in our parliamentary system at the moment. Trying to keep up one step after another, after another, think, what is going on? Shalom is truly disrupted. So, how do we hold the tension of the reality of good and bad, of order and chaos? This biggest context of the arch from Genesis 1 and 2 to Revelation 21 to 22. shows that beyond the mystery of the now and not yet, that Jesus has died, he has risen, he has taken on him the death and destruction. He has won that battle. And yet we live still working for God's kingdom here on this earth, that his rule of beauty and love would reign. Through Jesus, the cross. Jesus, through the cross, has defeated death and chaos. And we hold the promise that ultimately God is in control. God is ultimately good. Look at the reading in Revelation again. Um, Actually, would some... Would one of you guys just read out that verses 1 to 5 again? Revelation 22. Thank you. Verse
1: 1 to 5. Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the centre of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him. And they will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads. And there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign for ever and ever.
0: um there is uh rob bell who i know um people will have mixed feelings about but i quite like what he says um and he says it slightly flippantly um but actually if it wasn't for sin the bible would be really short <laughs> it would be those first two um books of genesis letters um chapters in Genesis and the last two chapters of revelation we would just have those four <laughs> those those four books if it wasn 't for sin isn 't it amazing to see uh, what um, the water under god 's control and god 's rule does that image that we have. So we have um, in Genesis, we have it as this sort of chaotic, um, initially, this chaotic, destructive force where life can't exist. And then we go to the end of Revelation, and on each side of the river stands the tree of life, bearing crops that come every month. (laughs) There's no hunger. The fruit is always there. It's abundant. And the leaves of the trees are there for the healing of the nations. Oh my goodness, God, please let there be healing in the nations. The imagery of water and light in the Old and New Testament is frequently associated with God's salvation, his saving, life-giving and cleansing ministry of the Holy Spirit. And in the new city of God, in Revelation, the pure water, where does it come from? It comes from the throne of God. God is in the midst of his people. Life constantly streams from God through this new world. And the tree of life all along that great street in the city, what was lost in that Garden of Eden when you get to Genesis 3, is renewed and restored God's salvation is so powerful that the effects of sin, broken shalom, is completely overcome. The eternal life that God gives that community that follow Him and love Him and worship Him will always be available. Will sustain and cure every former sin. Today we've gone from those first two chapters in Genesis to the last two chapters in Revelation. And I think it's important that we remember. They are there. Sometimes it's really easy for our Bibles to suddenly start at Genesis 3, where we all get lost in the sin and the evilness and the brokenness of the world that we live in. But that is placed in the context of Genesis 1 and 2, where God stands back and goes, That is God good to the beauty where there will be no tear there will be no suffering there will be beauty there will be restoration in those last two verses of the bible to so whatever you read in the bible remember the beginning and the end. As I end, we're going to pause for a minute uh, um, of quiet afterwards just to reflect, and then I'll come back and we will pray. But well, what I want you to remember is that the first word belonged to God. And the last word will belong to God.